Hi, and welcome to the podcast ministry of New Life Church in Springfield, Ohio. We hope that the transformative truths of God's Word impact, challenge, and bless you. I want to get into the, the Word today. Um, 2 Samuel chapter 9. 2 Samuel chapter 9. And we're going to start reading in verse 1. Second Samuel chapter nine. See, that's that's something that we got to work on sometimes, especially like uh, with young preachers. You say it, and there's no way those onion skins have quit turning by the time you start reading that text. So I would like for everybody to be able to follow along if they're looking in the Bible. I give you guys at least a little bit of time to find it. That way you can you know, read along in the Word or on the uh, or on the overhead. Second Samuel chapter nine and verse one. Now David said, "Is there anyone?" Who is left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now, I want to just talk about that one very loaded question for a minute because we want to get good context um, for what actually is going to happen and, be, and unfold in the Word of God. So, when have you ever heard that said before in the Bible? You know, is, there any, is, there any, uh, is there any young people? Is there, are there any children left? of that line of that former king? I think Herod said something a lot like that. That I may go and worship as well. There's a reason for that. Um, Now, we'll just go ahead and read through this, but I want you to know that is a loaded question. And if you're answering it, um, you're kind of picking sides. Because if you're on the side of the person you're trying to protect, maybe, um, you're like, no, I don't think so. I don't think, I mean... I think, I think he's all out of sons, no more there. Um, or if you're on David's side, you might say, yes, there's one, two, and three here, and they all might be a threat to you later, so let's, let's show them kindness, because that's how it works in, you know, in antiquity and in the Bible times. David said, is there anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? And there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. And when they had called him to David, the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, At your service. And the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul whom I may show the kindness of God? And Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan who is lame in his feet. So the king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, Indeed, he is in the house of Machir, the son of Amniel, in Lodabar place is called Lodabar. Lodabar has an interesting name. If you research and find out what the name Lodabar means, it's a, um, to verbalize it clearly, it's a, it's a place of pasturelessness. Okay? It, was a, it was a place uh, that was barren, a place where nothing was growing. There was no pasture in Lodabar, and that was the name of it. Basically dry, you know, without life. That's where he is physically and spiritually at this, this young man in Lodabar. Verse 6 says, Now when Mephibosheth, say that three times fast, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, had come to David, he fell on his face and prostrate himself. And then David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Here is your servant. So David said to him, Do not fear, for I surely will show you kindness for Jonathan your father's sake. And will restore to you all the land of Saul, your grandfather, and you shall eat bread at my table continually. 
And he bowed himself and says, What is your servant that you should look upon such a dead dog as I am? I'm just happy not to be getting you know, the, the axe right now. And you want to restore? You want to, uh, you, you want to, you, you want to not only give me you know, your permission to continue living where I'm at, but you want to bless me. Donald, you want to um, you know, re-inherit me of all the things uh, you know, of my grandfather who came against you, you know, who, uh, who sought your life, who wanted to kill you. Remember Saul uh, threw, threw a spear, a javelin right at David, trying to pin him to the wall. He tried to kill him numerous times. And this is his descendant. He said, why would you do this? That you should look upon such a dead dog as I. That's pretty low. Not a lot of uses for a dead dog. And the king called to Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, I have given to you, to your master's son, all that belonged to Saul and all to his house. This is a king's inheritance, by the way. It's not like your house back, you know, that's been repoed. It's, this is a, a king's inheritance. You, therefore, and your sons and servants shall work the land for him, and you shall bring in the harvest that your master's son may have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's son, will eat bread at my table always. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, According to all that my lord the king has commanded his servant, so will your servant do. As for Mephibosheth, said the king, he shall eat at my table like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah, and all who dwelt in the house of Ziba were servants of Mephibosheth. So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem and ate continually at the king's table, and he was lame in both his feet. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, we love you. We worship you. Um, we see ourselves reflected uh, in your word, and sometimes what we see doesn't line up with it. So God... Help us today to not just uh, hear your word, to not just uh, you know, hear the preaching and then walk away unchanged. But God, whatever way is in me, is in us, Lord Jesus, reveal it, challenge us, convict us, and only by your power, because we don't have the ability to change ourselves, only you do. Change us, O oh God, as we submit and supplicate ourselves before you, God. We love you and we want to be more like you. Talk to us today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen? Saying all those Mephibosheths kind of dried me out for one minute. Right. David was a good king. Good king. He was, uh, you know, he's not perfect, and that's fair to say. I mean, it's the only thing you can say. We, we read through the chronicles of, of what's going on, you know, throughout his life and his kingship. He, he messes up in some big, major ways. The good thing about David is he always had a heart that sought God after a heart of repentance, a heart of, uh, of contriteness before the Lord, which is what left him not where Saul ended up. Honestly, their mistakes, I, 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 I would choose Saul's to try and come back from. His wasn't quite as bad as you know, David's. You get into that. But uh, the contrite spirit afterwards is what makes or breaks a person because we all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Now, I talked a little bit there in the very, very, after the very, very first um, loaded question is what I called it from David. David says uh, um, something that you would hear any king in antiquity say, 
after you had ascended to the throne. Every single one of them would have said the same thing. It doesn't matter if you are an Assyrian king. It doesn't matter if you're an Egyptian king. It doesn't matter who you are. You can be Jewish. Um, they're all going to, if you're a Malachite, if you're a Hittite, you know, it doesn't matter. All of them would say the same thing. As soon as getting on to the throne, um, then you would look around and be like, has he got any kids? Because the same thing always happened. If, if, you know, whenever there was a son, whenever there was an heir to that person, um, then not, it wasn't just about him alone because all of your enemies would be drawn there and they would circle around him and they would start to build him up and say, you know, we, we want to get ingratiated, we want to get in good with this guy, and then there's going to be a coup. And whenever things are not going well you know, in the kingdom, then, then this will be our candidate to, to put on the throne. Um, this happens again and again and again. If you read through you know, all, the, all the stories and texts and histories of antiquity, um, this is always happening. You know, there's always a coup, and some, you know, some fourth son of a forgotten guy, you know, from two generations ago, comes back, and now they are a threat. And so, that's um, most kings w- would do the same thing. Most kings would seek him out and put an end to him. I mean, because now, you know, he might not be the most attractive prospect, this uh, this Mephibosheth, but don't we read that he had a son? You know, and while Mephibosheth might not have been very kingly, not, not be very stately, you know, and that's not a guy that you want to follow into battle. He can't walk, you know, and that was a big, much bigger deal back then than it even is now. Um, but he had a son, didn't he? And the generation could continue and keep going and going and going. And so finally, you know, there was, a, uh, there was an opportunity and, uh, and there would be a coup. How things usually worked in the ancient times was not pretty or kind. I said the Assyrians were particularly bad. Whole families, whole generations, whole, whole cities were wiped out because of this. You know, Herod was concerned in the same way. Now, he wanted baby Jesus murdered. And the reason why was because he feared anyone who might be a threat to his power or his reign when they grew up. Now, he heard from the wise men. You guys remember the story? Of course you do. Um, you know, Herod, um, he hears... From, the, from these wise men that are traveling. You know, we're, we're here. We saw the star. We, we've, we're operating in the prophetic here. When we saw this and we know, you know even, even though we're not, even though these guys were not like you know, men of God and prophets of old, even they saw the star and they had come to worship the one true king. They understood what it is. You can't look on Jesus and not know who he is, whether you're saved or not. You can't look at the things of God and not see um, you know, his hand. Now, these particular guys, they, they come to Herod and they say, we're here to worship him. Where is he you know, that, that we might worship him? And Herod does immediately the same thing that I'm telling you most kings would do in this situation. He says to him, um, you know, well, whenever you find him, I don't exactly know where he is, but whenever you do find him, I want to know about it because I will come you know, and worship him as well. I will come to him and say, you know, and supplicate myself because if it's the king, you know, it's the king. Well, that's not really where his heart was, and we understand that fully. Um, he does heinous, terrible things. He has all the children that he feels like are a threat or could even possibly be a threat um, murdered. All the male boys, all the boy children murdered, tragically, sinful, evil. But he feared anyone who might be a threat. Even the sin that brought Saul down was in this vein. Because right now we're, we're telling the story of Mephibosheth and how he has um, you know, just been wasting away in Lodabar, but it wasn't always such. Jonathan is his father, who was the prince. Saul is his father, who was the king before David. And you know why Saul lost his kingship? It's a, it's a, it is a tragic story. And this 
plays out in 1 Chronicles. And just to kind of give you uh, the overview of what Saul says and Saul does, um, Saul has been commissioned by God. And this is, this is way back. This is before you know, Mephibosheth's even a, a, you know, a thought. This is before David's on the throne. This is the original King Saul who's been anointed by Samuel the prophet. And so the next thing you know, he says, I want you to go and I want you to wipe out and punish this entire people, this entire group here. Um, you go and you do exactly what I say, nothing. You know, you, you just you completely destroy everything that I tell you to destroy. None of it is to be spared because they have sinned against God and you are the instrument of punishment um, that is going to come forth. Says that to him very clearly, you know, very painfully clear in the text exactly what that looked like. But the next thing you know, and this is in, actually this is in 1 Samuel 15, we see um, Saul steps out of that in the flesh. Now, he's supposed to destroy everything, uh, but as he comes uh, you know, through, and it's not out of mercy, it's not out of love or out of grace that he decides to do this, um, he, he, he wins the battle through God's power, and then all the people that are left, um, he takes the king and takes him captive. Now, he didn't do that out of mercy either because he's a really nice guy. No, you did that because it glorifies you. In ancient Rome, um, you would always have a triumph anytime that you won a battle or a war. You know, Caesar, everybody remember Julius Caesar, that name. Um, you would have a triumph, and that would basically mean uh, you had a, you know, a big parade. A triumph was a real thing. Um, you, you would have a huge parade. All of Rome would come out. Um, you would have, you know, um, this, uh, these, you know, this little hat you would wear, basically, this little wreath that you would wear, and everyone would be honoring you. And if you had a really good triumph, then you would bring out, um, you know, a king or, you know, a, a potentate of some power, you know, who, who would walk out with his shackles on, sometimes the shackles of gold on. And the more powerful, the more regal that guy was who was following in your wake shackled, um, the more glory for you because it made you look good. You know, have you ever seen the guy who, uh, who just, just blocks the six-year-old as hard as he can when he tries to make a layup? Okay, that's not what you want in a triumph. You, know, you don't want like you know, some poor pitiful-looking sheep herder you know, from the middle of nowhere who, who's come here. No, you want a regal-looking, you want a strong guy who, 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 who glorifies you. And they say, wow, you, 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 I can't believe that, that you have done this. You have brought down this king of barbarians and you're, you're, you're mighty and you're worthy of honor. You know, you know, all hail you. That's what Saul is trying to accomplish here. He wants the pride. He wants what God has done to, to be glorified in him. So we have to be careful ourselves sometimes because uh, I, I want to be very careful to testify when God moves on my behalf instead of always just taking the credit for myself. If God moves for me, if he heals me in my body, I want to say God has done this thing. Not because I am good, not because I pray well or because I'm smart or because I'm so eloquent, but because he is good all the time and all the time he is good. God is the one who is good. Uh, whenever my finances you know, are at a place where there's, you know, there's plenty, I, I don't want to just be like, well, I make all the right moves, and, you know, and I, you know, I'm, I'm smart. I do. No, it's honestly like a lot of smarter people than me uh, have been in really, really hard times again and again and again. It's not me if I do well. It is God. God is your provider. God is the one who, who, who raises up and, and sets down. So we always want to be careful uh, you know, to, to not focus you know, the, the pride or, or the glory of any situation in our lives on ourselves. Because it is God. Anything good. Every good and perfect gift, the Word of God says, comes from the Father above. It's not us. And whenever we step out of that, we incur God's wrath and punishment. So Saul does it. He brings out the king as a trophy. Brings out the best of the livestock and everything else that's worth taking. 
Basically, uh, the word of God specifically says everything that is good. So he destroys everything that's bad. You know, everything that, you know, that, that's weak or that's ugly or that's pathetic, he puts the torch to it, doesn't care. But everything that's good, that's really worth bragging about, that's really worth having, he takes for himself. So let me challenge you with this. What part does God have in your life? Does he have the, less, the leftovers, the cast-offs? Are you available to, 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 to seek God or to obey him or to obey his voice only on the days when something else hasn't filled it up? Where is God on your priority level? Amen. See, Saul was happy to burn everything that he didn't really care about. He was happy to sacrifice everything that he wasn't really big on or that you know, wasn't really good. But everything that was going to enrich him or that was going to bring him glory, Saul was happy to go ahead and take for himself. He destroyed what was worthless. And the reason for God's command concerning this king, anyone remember what the king's name is? It is King Agag. Great name. King Agag. And there's a reason because that's not the last time you'll hear that name. And you remember the whole reason why, why I said that Assyrians would kill you know, any of their rivals' children, all their seed wanted to wipe off the face of the earth? Uh, read the book of Esther. You read the book of Esther. Everybody, everybody hopefully has, you know, at some point at least perused. You need to dig into it. You need to read your whole Bible. Um, but, you know, if you want to go back and start in Esther's powerful book. And whenever this man, Haman, who is powerful, he's the right, kind of like one of the right-hand guys of the king. He's, he's very important, this ruler. He is kind of the right-hand guy. And he is given another name, Haman the Agagite. And immediately you see his lineage. You see where he came from. And Haman, out of his hatred for Mordecai, his hatred for the Jewish people, um, you know, whispers right into the king's ear. Next thing you know, we are on the verge of a holocaust. Every Jewish person can be put to the sword. Every one of God's people can be threatened, destroyed, their property taken. If you, how horrible is this? If you murder them, you get all their stuff in the city. And it was all concocted by a spirit that drove Haman the Agagite to hate God's people. And the reason why Haman was still there is because Saul disobeyed. So I think it's very, very interesting that it comes a little bit full circle in this text. The reason Saul lost his position in the first place is because he, in his disobedience, allowed this man to live, this Agag, this king. And next thing you know, generations later, uh, he is now the threat who has come back to haunt uh, the people of God. If you let sin continue in your life, I promise you it will not hold still. It will not be satisfied with the influence that it has. It must, it will, by its very nature, continue to expand and grow and poison. These things have to be cut off. And that's why God cut off Saul. Why the people sought out the families of their enemies after a shift in, in leadership. It was a threat. It was a genuine threat. So, and, and while we can just call them all barbaric and say that they're just terrible people, and well, yeah, I know, but you know, a lot of people got knifed because they didn't do this. It was kind of just, it's where it was. It was, the, it was the way the world worked. But David does something very, very, very different. David understands something powerful. Number one, um, David doesn't have to fear that because he knows that God has anointed him and placed him in the place that he's at. So he's not worried about it. 
but also he emulates another king. We'll read that text one more time. Now David said, Is there anyone who is left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? And there was a servant in the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. So when they had called him to David, the king said to him, Are you Ziba? He said, At your service. And the king said, Is there not still someone in the house of Saul to whom I may show the kindness of God? And Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan who is lame on his feet. And the king said, Where's he at? I'm going to start paraphrasing a little bit now. Where's he at? And Ziba said to the king, um, Indeed, he is in the house of Mekir, the son of Amniel, in Lodabar. He's in bad shape. You know, he's, he's, he's not in a, in a good place. Um, and, and I don't know whether the servant is thinking that that would be a good thing to tell David or not. You know, sometimes we, 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 we suppose and we say that. And so he's like, yeah, he, he's in bad shape. He's no threat. And David's like, no, 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 you got it wrong. That's not my heart. I, I really do want to see him blessed. Exactly. No, I, no, I really do. Like, I, 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 I loved his father and even his father before him. And, 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 and I'm not worried about the things you think I'm worried about. I, I love him and I, I want to see him blessed. Exactly. We'll see him blessed. And so they're still not really getting it that he is not going to do the other things that, that other kings do. Now, when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, had come to David, he fell on his face and prostrated himself and said, Mephibosheth? And he said, here is your servant. So David said to him, do not fear, for I will surely show kindness for Jonathan, your father's sake, and I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your grandfather, and you shall eat bread at my table continually. And then he bowed himself and said, what is your servant that you should look upon a dead dog like me? And the king called to Ziba. And you know what he said. I'm going to skip all the way down. All the way down to verse 11. Then Ziba said to the king, According to all that my lord of the king has commanded his servants, so I will do. As for Mephibosheth, said the king, he shall eat at my table like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all who dwelt in the house of Ziba were servants of Mephibosheth. So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, for he ate continually at the king's table. And he was lame in both of his feet. What a powerful story. What a powerful story. Now I want to kind of shift gears a little bit, and I want to, uh, to preach. I've got to preach about grace. And I've got something else, too. Something that God kind of gave me this morning. The table's a powerful picture, isn't it? That table is one of the most beautiful things in the Bible, if you ask me. We've, uh, we've all sat at the dinner table, and uh, you know, everybody kind of has your own spots. You know, families have different you know, spots, areas there that are kind of reserved to you. A lot of times, you know, uh, Dad will like to sit in one area. Sometimes it might be you know, closest to the door, just, you know, just in case. Or sometimes you know, it might be where you can get the best view. I'm kind of like that. Like, I don't know why. I like, in every restaurant, I've I got to have like, a good spot to scope out what's, what's going on, just in case you know, something happens. Anyone else like that? Get a little claustrophobic, and you kind of have to see what's, yeah, what's going on. I don't like my back to the door. Um, everybody's got kind of a different spot, I guess, that you would pick. Table's a powerful, powerful picture. And number one, it is direct communion with the king. It is a place that we're not deserving to be, any of us. Not me, not you. We don't deserve 
to sit at the king's table. And it's not because of any good that we have done. It's because of what somebody else did. So as we see that beautiful picture, and David, David has no problem telling Mephibosheth a little bit. He's like, yeah, you're welcome. And, and I do want to show you kindness, but Mephibosheth, but this isn't just because of you. It's because of someone else and what someone else did and what someone else meant to me. What a powerful picture of what Jesus Christ did for each and every one of us. Because whenever I come to the king's table, it's not because I deserve to be there. It's not because of any good that I have done. It's not because of how many times I've read my Bible through. It's not because of the things that I've said or the messages that I've preached or, or the witnessing maybe that, that I've led someone else to the Lord. It's certainly not because of my money. It's not because of my anything that I have done. Every time I take my place in fellowship and communion with God, it is strictly because of this and this alone. What Jesus did on my behalf. And so David makes it clear. He said, because of Jonathan, your father, who I loved, you're welcome to be at this table. Powerful. The second beautiful thing about the table is this. The table is a good place to be whenever you are lame. You know, I don't, you know, you, you don't want to, uh, you, you don't want to be out walking around, you know, with the king's sons. You don't want to be, you know, doing all those things. Think about this. Um, how bitter that Mephibosheth probably was. I mean, you know, knowing how close he was to kingship. Knowing how, how, you know, if it only hadn't been for, you know, all these things that kind of fell apart and these problems and these issues that arose and, you know, the bad stuff that happened between David and happened between Saul and then Jonathan. Next thing you know, Jonathan is dead. Like, I'm an orphan and an, and an enemy of the state, basically. And now my, my, my nursemaid, here's the story of Mephibosheth. The nursemaid had a hold of him and was running and then dropped him. If I'm that nursemaid, that story never gets out. I have no idea what's wrong with him. You know, I, I, you dropped the king's son and made him lame. On his feet, you, you destroyed kind of his, his inheritance. Like you have a, you, you've messed him up. I wouldn't. Let's stop doing whatever we're doing there. Amen. Um, I, I, would, I would not want to be the, uh, the, the person who has made a, a mistake and dropped the king's son. Although, honestly, I think that we drop the ball um, a lot sometimes. So this poor boy ends up lame on his feet. Um, tragically, like, it just a whole destiny, it seems like, has been aborted. And so sometimes, I want to just kind of preach this to you. Um, church, hear me now. Make this very clear. Got to be careful. Um, everything that you do, you're responsible for. You are. But I will say that, uh, that there's a truth um, to be gained here. Some things that happen to us, we do get dropped. You know, we, we, we get hurt from time to time, and it's not always something that, you know, that, that, that you know, we asked for. Some people walk through terribly hard things in their lives. Some people uh, you know, don't ask for you know, or, or deserve the trials and, and the tribulations that come their way. I've seen people you know, in terrible pain. We're living right. 
You know, the things that can happen as a child in this, in this cruel world, um, you know, the, the, thing, you know the, the abuses that can be heaped upon people who do not deserve it whatsoever, you can be dropped in a lot of ways. You, 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 can, you can be betrayed, you can be abandoned and hurt and, and, and misused. And it happens, and it's not your fault. You were dropped. And sometimes, I'm going to be very real here, sometimes we think that because we've been dropped, or because these things have happened, that it, it destroys our, our destiny. It, it creates something in us, or, or it, it derails something in our life that we're no longer able at that point to be who we're supposed to be, or who we could have been. And, and let me tell you, a lot of, a lot of aborted destinies and, and kingdom purposes and callings and anointings um, have been excused in that way, but what you need to understand is that no matter what you have been walking through, no matter uh, how you were dropped, or what was laid at your door, or what abuses might have been heaped on you, that does not in itself have the ability to keep you out of your role. It doesn't have the ability to keep you from, from being powerful, from being at the king's table. Because something powerful happens at the table of the king. Whenever you sit down to table, you can see a lot, but you don't see legs. You don't have to worry about how good you are at walking at the table. The most beautiful picture in the world is that David places this poor wretch in the one place in the whole kingdom where grace and love could cover him, where he would be okay, where he would be able to function the way he needed to, where he would be restored. That's what grace can do. Oh man, so, so many people would, 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 have, would have triumphed over him and would, and would have had him crawl through the streets. This is, this is the, the last vestige. This is, you know, because of my pride, I am the king now. This is the last, this, this is the seed of Saul. And I'm going to expose it. And I'm going to, and I'm going to toot my own horn. Say, I am the king and, and, and this is my enemy. Instead, he goes the total opposite way with it. And says, I love because of what Jonathan did. And not only am I not going to expose it, I'm going to cover it with grace. My friend, that is what God would do in your life, in your heart today. The areas that, whether it's your fault or whether it's something that somebody did to you, those are the areas that God would heal that God would change, that God would cover over in his grace. Of course, if there's sin, then you repent. You do what Mephibosheth did. He prostrated himself before the king and said, I am your servant, and I am undeserving of your grace, of your love. The next thing you know, because of grace, it's all covered over. The last thing that I want to say today Brother Justin, if you would come play, I'd appreciate it. That was a nice sermon. Not great, but it was, it was you know, it's a feel-goody sermon, you know. And it's true. Every word of it is true. But I've got something else for you here. Something that will have to shift. Now, the table is the table of grace. And yes, God 
wants to cover those mistakes and he wants you to be on his, at his table. He wants you to serve him. He wants you to be in right relationship with him. But here's the word that God gave me to end on today. Grace covers what we cannot do, not what we will not do. The table covered up what Mephibosheth couldn't do, not what he wouldn't do. And now we're there. We need, we need to, that's part of the word. I'm telling you, we cannot be who we need to be apart from Christ. We cannot reach sanctification without the spirit of Christ and the spirit of God. However, do not think that you can just roll in under the table and sweep everything under it. Amen? Mephibosheth, Mephibosheth showed what he was made of. He showed where his heart was. He showed who that he was. Uh, when he came, I, I don't know how, uh, I don't know what he was doing that he could even fall before David because he probably had to half crawl there in the first place. But he, he made sure that it was known that he was in submission. He was, he was you know, supplicating. And so for what we need to understand is that when we go to our Heavenly Father, grace covers what we can't do, not what we won't do. And whenever we read the word of God, we discover what we should do, what we're commanded by God to do, to live according to his word, to be sanctified, to love him, to obey his commandments. And God absolutely wants us all to be at the table of grace. And I think of Mephibosheth, oh, what he wouldn't have given to run to get up and to walk and to, and, and to go and to, to ride a horse and to go into battle and to be all the things that, you know, that, that he saw everybody else around him being. He wanted those things. Like He, he, would, he would love to do those things. And, and so I have to question my own heart sometimes, and you need to question your heart sometimes. Um, what, what's really keeping you? You know, what, what is really holding you back? Mephibosheth, you know, he got up, he crawled on his hands and knees. You know, he, he, he would have been up. He would have been up and doing. And, and so what grace, the whole purpose of grace in our lives is to cover and to, to love and to, to cover the, us in the areas uh, where we strive and, and, and we are weak in ourselves. But God's grace is sufficient uh, to bring us through, to help us to be who we're supposed to be, to make in us what needs made, the things that are beyond our strength. But obedience to God has to be observed. So I challenge us today. Grace will continue to cover what you can't do, but not what you won't do. So now I've basically preached two sermons, and I can give two altar calls. And no one will know which one you're responding to. But I'll tell you this. If you're struggling and you feel like because of the whatever's happened to you, whatever abuse has come your way, that you're just in a, in, in, in a bad place and, and you don't deserve, you're in a place where nothing is growing in your life and you feel cut off, know that the Lord loves you and that he has prepared a spot for you at his table. 
where all the things, all of your shortcomings, your faults and your failures are not on display, but they are forgiven and that you, are, you can be sanctified, you can be loved, you can be changed at the table of grace. And if you're at a place where you know that God wants you there, but that grace is meant to cover the things where, where you can't, where, you, where you're trying, where you're striving. You know, he, he, I'm sure Mephibosheth was trying to walk. I'm sure, how many times do you think he tried throughout his life to get up and to move forward? So if you're at a place where you're seeking God's grace, understand, this is my charge today. God's grace will not cover what you will not do. Church, if you, my friend, if you're living in a way that displeases God and that is contrary to his word, that's not grace. That is, that's rebellion to his word. And grace doesn't cover that. So search our hearts. And say, God, I want to live for you. I want to be made like you. Amen.